Morning, everybody. So good to see you all here. We're continuing in our series on Galatians and Galatians chapter 5, if you want to turn there or tap there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you somewhere in the seat back. Starts out, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Now, freedom is a good thing, right? I mean, we like freedom, especially here in North America. We're all about freedom, especially America. It's all about freedom, right? On a scale of one to America, how free are you tonight? It's a good pickup line. Um, <laughs> but we love our freedom as North Americans, don't we? And Christ has set us free, and it was for freedom that Christ set us free. But there are uh, some complications with freedom. We look at it very black and white, but it's a very nuanced concept of what exactly freedom is. And there's no doubt about it that our text today that Paul is going to uh, lay out for us in, in verses 1 to 15 are a corrective text, okay? This is a situation where there's been a misunderstanding or an abuse of freedom in the Christian church, and there's no way of getting around it. Paul is here to correct in this part of text, and uh, at one point he alludes to us being lumps of dough, which I take exception to. Um, it's a little too accurate when it pertains to me. Um, you know, he tells the people, he tells the people that are, that are confusing the Galatians, they should just go all the way with circumcision and mutilate themselves. You know, he's, he's correcting here, there's no doubt about it. But, uh, but I, I changed correcting to clarifying. So this morning, as I tend to try to be an encouraging guy. So instead of saying correcting Christian freedom, I'm, I've, I've rephrased it clarifying. But this is a corrective text. Okay, this idea of freedom that people, that we enjoy in our flesh, and even as Christians that we enjoy freedom and that we have been set free, can lead us astray. We can abuse freedoms, right? And we see the abuse of freedoms, especially, again, in North America uh, in the last several decades, where it seems like there is no limit to freedom. We can use freedom to the point of abuse where anything goes. There is no limit um, and it actually binds us or actually creates chains or creates slavery, even though we think that we are free. And that's what Paul wants to get at in this text. He wants to, on the one hand, in, in verses or in chapters one to four, has been arguing so passionately that the Galatians are free from the law and free from sin because of the grace and the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He now has to issue this corrective or this clarifying statement so that we understand exactly what Christian freedom is. Because freedom is so easily abused. Paul has seen the abuse of freedom. He knows the abuses uh, of both unsaved humans and even Christians that they can bring to freedom. And so Paul wants to put a fine point on exactly what kind of freedom he means. A true freedom and not a false freedom. Now in Galatians 5, 1 to 15, it's a big text. And I just want to show you, this is the whole text, Galatians 5, 1 to 15. And uh, the whole text is a lot. And what the key to understanding it is actually there's two parenthetical phrases or comments in here. There's two side comments that Paul makes, and I'll just highlight them in the next slide. And these are slides. The first comment he makes, he's speaking to those Galatians who want to continue to put their hope in Christ. And in that comment, he basically says, if you want to continue to put your hope, or sorry, in the law, if you want to continue to put your hope in the law, Christ is of no use to you. And his second comment is aimed at the Judaizers who are leading the Galatians astray. And he's basically saying, 
they're going to be judged, and I wish they would just take care of themselves. So if we take out those two parenthetical phrases, the main thread of his thought, then, we can compress down into this text. And so this is the text I'm going to read, and this is the text we're going to work from. And I'll just read it, and you can read along with me uh, in your Bibles if you have them in front of you. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. For For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Okay, so you can see here that Paul has an impassioned corrective or a clarity on the subject of freedom for his people, this church in Galatia. And this is a big text, and it's a complicated text in the sense that Paul unearths or he points towards a lot of difficult things to understand about our freedom, and so we're going to take some time to unpack it. It was told, I read somewhere, that if a pastor has prepared his sermon well, then his wife should be able to wake him up at 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, and if she asks what the sermon is about, he can, as groggy and perplexed as he may be, explain the sermon in just a few sentences. And I agree with that. It's important. And I think it's especially important with this text because as as I meditated over it over the week on this text on freedom, there was a lot that was packed into it. And and it unfolds into very profound truths. And even more importantly, it unfolds into very profound and important life applications to us as Christians. And so we have to first understand these verses in their simplest form. And then that simplicity gives us the structure for delving deeper into our into the meaning. Okay, so it's going to sound complicated at first, but I'm going to try and make it simpler. So here is what I think are the links in Paul's chain of logic regarding freedom and what Christian freedom is. First of all, Jesus set us free for freedom. So stand firm, don't go back into slavery. We have our hope now through the Holy Spirit by faith and not by law. With Jesus, proving yourself by works of the law, and he uses circumcision as an example, proving yourself by works of the law means nothing. Only faith that produces love means anything. So don't abuse your new freedom by using it as an opportunity to serve or gratify your own flesh. That isn't really love. True freedom is made apparent when you serve others. That really is love. This isn't something new. Even the law told us that love was its final goal from the very beginning. Love your neighbor as yourself. And finally, if you are unable to truly love one another properly, he says, if you bite and devour, then you will end up destroying or consuming each other. Okay, you follow those seven steps in Paul's logic of what he's trying to teach about freedom. We're set free, the law is no good, real love and real freedom serves others, and if you can't do that, you have to wonder what love you really have. So that's the summary of his argument, but for me at least, it it requires explanation. We have to unpack what is Paul clarifying, what is he correcting in Christian freedom here as he outlines these statements. And I boil it down to three simple questions. How can freedom be an opportunity for the flesh? We have to understand what he means by that if we're going to understand what Paul is saying here. When he says 
don't let your freedom be an opportunity for your flesh, what does that actually mean? And when he says that we should serve others or love others like ourselves, then what does loving others like ourselves actually look like? It's easy to say that, but Paul doesn't explain it here, so we need to understand that. And then finally, the third thing is, how do I test what sort of love or what sort of freedom I actually have? Do I have true freedom or do I have a false freedom that Paul is trying to correct against? Or looking at it another way, Paul is saying that Jesus has set us free, so live in freedom, but be careful. There's a false kind of freedom that results in a false kind of love, and there is a true kind of freedom that results in a true kind of love. Which freedom and which love do you actually have? Do you have Christ's freedom, or do you have a counterfeit freedom? Okay, that's our, that's our text. Let's unpack those three questions, and I'll just pray before we do that. Father God, As we've seen in this series on Galatians, Paul is writing in very shorthand. It's a short letter for all the things that he has to say. And uh, in Romans and in Corinthians and in other books or other letters, he has expanded these things and we may look towards them. But Lord, I pray that the passion that Paul has here for his beloved people in this church in Galatia, that it would come through to us, that we would see why he is so set on them understanding the nuance of Christian freedom. It's important for us, because if, if we get Christian freedom long, wrong, it, it looks like in this text, Lord, that we'll get love wrong. And we don't want that. So, Father, I pray that as, as we unpack these verses, that we, would, that we would really understand Christian freedom. We wouldn't abuse it. We would know how to love properly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how can Christian freedom then be an opportunity for the flesh? That's what he says. He says, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. And so we've read that verse before, right? And I'm sure a lot of you have heard that, and you you sort of heard that kind of Christian nugget of wisdom in the past, and, and we've often interpreted it. And when I first came to this text, I still had my sort of old way of looking at the verse on, and uh didn't really see the nuance that Paul had here until this week, we kind of interpret it as don't take the opportunity to sin when it comes along just because you're free, right? Isn't that sort of how we think of that? Like, like because I'm a Christian, if there's this opportunity or sin might get a chance, you know, to tempt me to sin at, a, at an opportunistic moment, because that's how we read the English word opportunity. And so when we read that, don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, we kind of think it like, you know, just you're checking out at the, the grocery store and there's like the super pack of Reese's Pieces there and you're thinking, I shouldn't have that. Oh, come on, it's there. Take the opportunity. I'm free in Christ. I'm grabbing those things, right? You know, and we kind of think of it as, as, as that way. But that's not actually what Paul says here. Okay, the word opportunity is actually the Greek word aforme. And, and the Greek word aforme is a starting base of operations in war. It's a beachhead. It's the, it's the fortress or the starting structure that you build in a conflict. And so what Paul is saying here is this verse is about the danger of abusing our freedom, not because it provides some sort of chance, opportunistic opening for our flesh or our sin, but he's saying, Christians, you can actually use your freedom strategically as a base of operations from where you will consciously and continually justify your disobedience in order to gratify your flesh. Paul's not just saying just be careful of chance opportunity. He's saying make sure you don't misunderstand your freedom and you actually use Christian freedom as a bulkhead or a beachhead to justify continued disobedience. 
This is like saying, because I'm free, I don't have to obey the law or worry about sin. And our flesh is happy to abuse Christian freedom with regard to either the law or sinning. Right? Satan is quite happy to support you in saying, yeah, you're free, don't worry about the law. You're free, don't worry about sin. Grace covers it all. The enemy will encourage you to take that opportunity with your freedom in Christ. In terms of abusing freedom from the law, on the first hand, a Christian might use their freedom in that way and say, because I'm free, I don't have any obligation to tithe. I don't have to give regularly to a church anymore. That's the old law. Who has to tithe? God doesn't want my money. I'm going to get into heaven regardless of my money. I'm, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I'm not saved by paying the church. And that's true. You're not justified by your offerings. There is no rule about how much to give. You're not under the law that says you have to tithe and you have to give. But Paul would ask us in this verse, what are you using that freedom from tithing for? Are you using it to gratify your flesh? Right? Is it? Are you kind of making the argument that you're free from the law of tithing so that you can justify a bigger boat? Or so that you can get a new TV? Right? So that you could get a newer car? Paul would say, yeah, you're free from the law of tithing, but Paul says don't use that freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Be careful what you're using your Christian freedom for. To say, yeah, I'm free from the law. Now I don't have to tithe. I can get a new car. Paul says, no, that's not what your freedom is for. Freedom is far more nuanced than that. Freedom is far more specific than that. Or a Christian might say, I I know you've heard this one, I'm free from the law, so I don't have to observe the Sabbath. I don't have to go to church. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, right? I can just be out in nature and enjoy God that way. Well, that's true. If all you care about is yourself, and if you're going to heaven or not, then church attendance isn't required for you to get to heaven, and if that's all you care about, you're right. You don't have to go to church. The law says you don't have to. You're free from the law. There's no law that says you have to be here. But then Paul again would ask in this verse, what motive do you have in your Christian freedom to avoid worshiping God with other Christians? Why do you want to avoid praying together with your family of Christ? Why do you want to miss out on opening up God's word together and hearing from him? Is the reason you want to be free from the law of the Sabbath so that you can sleep in? Right? Is it so you can go fishing? Or even worse, is it so you can avoid dealing with people that you need to forgive or ask forgiveness from? Why are you using your freedom from the law, Paul would ask? Why is it that you want to set yourself free from going to church? Is it to avoid a meaningful and possibly uncomfortable confrontation with God's teaching? I mean, it's true, you are free from ritualistic religion, but Jesus didn't give you that freedom so you could just use it as an excuse to gratify your flesh or to worship something else on Sunday morning, like golf, right? Or junior hockey. And maybe you don't want to go to church because you know the Bible's going to get opened and you, and, and you know what your flesh is going to hear and your flesh doesn't want to hear it. And your flesh will always say, I am at war with God. Romans 8, 7 says the flesh is hostile towards God. And so when your flesh on Sunday morning will always say, look, Jesus says you don't have to go to church, then I suggest we do anything else this morning other than go to church. That's what your flesh will say. And you can use your freedom to build and a forme, to build a base of operations and to do war against the grace that God has given you. You can use your freedom to give your flesh that beachhead to attack you from. 
And eventually you'll fall right back into slavery of your old flesh again. And a bondage that keeps you away from church or away from God's people and away from the truth and away from God and trapped in old habits because your flesh has used your freedom to gratify you. And Christians do this all the time with regard to the law. They say, we're free. We're free from all these laws. We don't have to do any of these things. Yeah. But what are you using your freedom for? Are you using your freedom to glorify God? Or are you using your freedom as an opportunity to gratify your flesh? And that's the corrective and the warning here, that as Christians we have to be clear that our freedom from the law is true and glorious. But our freedom from the law was not so that we could serve ourselves. It was so that we could serve God even better than what the law could serve. That's how the flesh will abuse freedom from the law. But the flesh will also abuse freedom with regard to sin. You know, the base of operations our flesh will use with regards to sin are many. There's a whole line of argument in Paul's day that he had to dispute on this very issue. If you go back to Romans chapter 5, don't turn there, but Romans chapter 5 and 6 and 7 are really about this issue. There was a whole line of argument from Paul's detractors who, where Paul was preaching grace to the sense that they said, well then, if what you're saying is true about God's grace, we should actually sin more. Because the more we sin, the more God gets to show grace. And God showing grace gives him glory. And so the more we sin, the more glory God gets. I mean, if he just forgives a little bit of sin, that's not a big deal. But imagine if he forgave a lot of sin. So I'm going to sin my whole life and God will just have to pour out grace upon grace. And they're not wrong in that argument. It does say that where sin abounds or where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And so their argument sort of made sense to them that they could use their freedom in Christ to sin as much as they wanted to and it would actually make God look better. But Paul answers them in Romans 6.1. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul says you can't use your freedom in Christ as the beachhead or as the base of operations for continued sin. God may be glorious because his grace is greater than sin, but God's grace is even more glorious when by his grace we are no longer enslaved to sin. There is a greater glory for God's grace, and that's not that we are dependent upon his grace, but that when we are trophies of his grace, when we have actually have victory over sin, God is even more glorified. And so back in Galatians, Paul says, your freedom is not meant to rationalize gratification of old fleshly desires. And I couldn't count how many people have said things to the effect of, yeah, I know it's wrong, but my sins are forgiven, and so I'm really not changing that right now in my life. I mean, people have sat in my office and told me that, right? Like, I know I'm not supposed to live with my boyfriend or my girlfriend before I'm married. I understand that we're not supposed to be sleeping together, but it's just so much easier to live that way, and Jesus forgives me anyway. I mean, I know there's a ton of damage that we're doing to our relationship, and I know that my self-worth is suffering on the consequences of it, and I know there's damaging consequences in my family over it, but I'm just trying to ignore those and focus on the fact that Jesus forgives my sins anyway, and I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, right? Or people will say, you know, even as Christians, you know, I shouldn't be cheating on my taxes, but Jesus forgives me, and the extra money is just so nice to have, right? Like, I like having the extra money, and I know that Jesus has already forgiven me for my sin, and so I'm, you know, yeah, I'm a little bit shady on my taxes, but it'll all work out in the end. I'm sure I'm not going to get taken out of heaven because of it. You know, I, I realize that I'm 
benefiting from other honest taxpayers who pay the full amount, and I'm trying to ignore the fact that there's other people who are making up for my dishonesty, just don't talk to me about that, because what I'm focusing on is God's grace and the fact that I can just keep doing this and not be punished for it. Or here's one. I know pornography is wretched, but Jesus forgives my sin, and my flesh really loves pornography, right? I know it's wrecking my marriage, and it's Production involves the abuse and degradation of real people, but I'm trying not to think about that. I'm just trying to think about the fact that I really like pornography in my flesh, and Jesus has forgiven me anyway. Trust me, Christians, we can start to use our freedom in Christ to rationalize away the law and sin. There are people that I meet on a regular basis who use their freedom in Christ as an excuse, essentially, to misbehave. And they say, hey, it's under grace. God forgives it all. Jesus died on the cross for this. Why are you wagging your finger in my face? Why are you telling me that I shouldn't live this way? I can live any way I want to live. Because of grace. Because of freedom. And Paul says, no, you can't. He says it in much longer text in Romans. But he says it right here in Galatians to these guys. He says, no, you were set free. But you were not set free so that you could use it as a beachhead, as a base of operations for you to rationalize lawbreaking and disobedience or to rationalize sinning. Your freedom is not meant to be a base of war for which you continually attack and abuse the grace of God. Only to finally realize that you're actually just falling back into slavery to whatever it is that you're using your freedom to serve and to worship. But there is an alternative. If, if freedom is not meant to gratify the flesh by avoiding obedience and, or rationalizing sin to serve our own ends, then it must be meant for something. And Paul says that that is what we are set free for is actually love. What a great answer. He says, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you say, well, what does that look like? In Romans 13.10, he says, Paul, Paul's talking about this love. He says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Because that's what the law is about. It's about doing no harm. It's about encouraging. It's about building up. It's about love. And if you just love, you fulfill the law. Matthew 22.37. This is Jesus speaking. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's all Paul is saying. He's saying the same thing Jesus said. He's saying the same thing God said in the law. He's saying, just love me. Let me help you love others. The law and Jesus and Paul all say the same thing. Love others the way you love yourself. And so again, as Christians, then we think, well, what, is, what does this really mean? What does it mean to love others like myself? You should, you should want to feed the hungry as much as you want to feed yourself. You want others to be warm as much as you want to be warm. You want to find your neighbor a job just as much as you want to find yourself a job when you're out of work. You want to work as hard on your neighbor's property as you do on your own. I mean, I spend some time taking care of my stuff. And I kind of look across the yard at my neighbors, and he's spending time taking care of his stuff. And I just kind of naturally think, well, he takes care of his stuff, and I'll take care of my stuff. And that's all right, I suppose, to a sense. But what Paul is saying is when you look over there, you should care as much about your neighbor's property as you care about yours. You should care as much about getting his car repaired as you care about getting your car repaired. You should be as concerned with how much food is in his fridge as you're concerned with how much food is in your own fridge. 
And I'll be honest, I don't do that. I don't, I don't think that way all the time. But that's what loving your neighbor as yourself does. I mean, we care for ourselves, right? We, we make sure there's food in our fridge. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if I'm a little bit hungry, I will not even walk past a candy bar. I will buy that candy bar for myself, right? That's how much we love ourselves. We spoil ourselves with how much we love ourselves. We give ourselves vacations. We give ourselves slack when we make a mistake. We give ourselves tons of grace, right? We take the kids to a sitter and give ourselves a night off. We really love ourselves. And Paul and Jesus and the law would ask, do you love your neighbor the same way you love yourself? What does that love look like in the Christian life? When I'm sick, I pray a lot. When you're sick, I pray. And after a few days, I'll be honest, sometimes I forget that you're sick. But I never forget I'm sick and I don't stop praying. Right? When my family's in trouble, I really pray for my family. You know, and I hear about your needs, and I do pray for your needs. Trust me, I do. But sometimes I forget that you have those needs still, and I stop praying. But Paul says here, no, you're supposed to love and pray and care for other people the same way you care for yourself. That means a lot. That's important for us to understand as Christians. We, if we would do it for ourselves, if we would do it for our own family, Jesus says, and Paul says, the Scripture says, the law says, God says, you should do it for everyone. Now, Jesus is his half-brother, James, same mother, different father. James totally understood what Paul was talking about here, right? And people th- sometimes think that James and Paul disagree on this area, that, that, that Paul is all about, you know, faith and, 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 and not works, and that James is about works and not faith. But Paul and James agree with each other perfectly, and they reinforce the same teaching, that faith produces love, and love naturally produces service to others. James 2:15 says, "If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, "Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which they are needed for the body, what does it profit?" This is all that Paul's talking about here. That's what I've been talking about. Right? If, if you're cold or you're hungry, don't you clothe and feed yourself? And so if somebody else is cold or they're hungry, do you clothe and feed them? Because if I'm cold and I'm hungry, I don't just pray and say, God, I'm cold and hungry. I go get clothing and I get food for myself. And James and Paul just agree on this. They say the same thing. It's like if you have faith, faith produces love and love produces service to other people. So our freedom then, the freedom that Paul is talking about is freedom that doesn't serve ourselves. It's freedom that's not used as an opportunity or a rationalization for self-gratification. I'm going to do what I want on Sunday morning. I'm going to keep my money for myself. I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to do the things I want to do with whoever I want to do them because I'm free. Paul says that's not what you've been set free for, not for self-gratification. Paul says you've been set free for other gratification. You've been set free not to serve yourself. You've been set free to serve others. Our freedom is meant to be used to love others. And in the end, that gives us a very simple test to see if the freedom and love we have is a false freedom and a false love or whether it's the true freedom and the true love that we have by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's the test. What is your love and what is your freedom producing? As you sit here today and you say, I'm free in Christ and I have God's love, then you can test that really simply by simply asking yourselves, what is my freedom and what is my love producing in my life? Paul would say, what is that Christian love and that Christian freedom producing? 
Is it producing self-serving self-love or is it producing other-serving sacrificial love? He says this in the end. You'll see it in verse 15. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed with one another. Now this ends a little heavy. And like I said, it's been a corrective text. Okay, And it ends even heavier than it started because Paul ends it heavy. Right? This is a stern warning. This is very interesting imagery. He says, if you bite and devour one another, take care you're not consumed by one another. He's saying, what is your love producing? What are the results of it? If you're using your freedom to serve yourself and you're using your freedom to love only yourself, then it becomes apparent in how you use the people around you. Self-serving, self-loving people, Paul says, end up consuming the people that are near but them. Paul shifts in his language to this very vivid and descriptive wording. He says they'll bite, they will devour, they will consume. And so I think Paul lands on this vivid imagery because he says this is the picture of the emptiness that I want to get across to you here. Have you ever tried to get near a carnivore that's been caught in a trap for a few days? Are they ever happy to see you? No. Right? Even if you're there to help them, they will take your arm off. Right? People who are not truly set free to love, they still feel the chain of their bondage on their neck. They still feel the trap on their foot. And there's an emptiness and a hunger and an anger that eventually works itself out in their relationships. And Paul uses this vivid imagery here to say empty people who try to fill themselves with attention-getting behavior or they fill themselves with inflated self-importance or grasping and using whatever power they have or eating up everybody's time around them or spending all the money that they have for themselves, those types of people will eventually devour those that are near them. And Paul wonders and is worried about these Galatians. And he knows that many of them are not truly free and is causing problems among them. And some of them have turned against him. And it sounds like some of them are even turning against each other. And he says, be careful. Because if you don't have true freedom that leads to this true love that's self-sacrificial in serving others, then that means you have this false freedom that you are using as an opportunity to gratify your flesh. And if you're in that self-gratifying self-love kind of freedom, you're going to eat each other up. You're going to consume each other. That is not true freedom. That is poverty and bondage. It ends in self-destruction. And so that's our test right there at the end. Do you, do you find yourself, as you sit here this morning, in your freedom and in your love? Because all of us think of ourselves as free and all of us think of ourselves as loving. Nobody honestly says, yeah, I'm not a very loving person. I'm pretty miserable, right? They don't usually admit to that. But as you sit there in your freedom and in your love, what are the results that you see? How are you using that freedom? How are you using that love, right? Do you find yourself unsatisfied by everything you have and everything that you crave and everything that you have gathered for yourself? It's all just consumed and you're still empty? Or is there someone in your life right now that you bite and devour and you are destroying Do you keep running into the same situations and the same circumstances in your life time and time again, but only the place and the names have changed? You keep chewing through the people ahead of you at work in the corporate ladder, or you keep biting and wounding every friend that gets close to you. Nobody you meet seems to respect you enough. Nobody seems to notice you enough. No church you've ever been to has cared for your needs enough. You just need more and more and more all the time. Well, be careful. Because Paul says, you may not have the freedom and the love that you think you have. 
Paul's warning here is to make sure you're not the hungry animal that's biting and devouring because you have not yet been satisfied by the love of Jesus. And you might be hungry and you might be starving right now this morning just realizing it. And Paul says that can change. You can have the love of Christ. You can have the fulfillment and the joy and the self-sacrificing love of the Holy Spirit in your life right now. That can change today. Jesus can change that. Christian freedom is never used to consume others, but is evident in bearing the fruit of love. Paul says your freedom should bear the fruit of love. It should result in loving behavior. If by faith you have the Spirit, then your life will bear the Spirit's fruit. And we're going to get there in a couple weeks when we get Galatians 5.22, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. This is where Paul is going. This is why he wants to clarify. This is why he wants to correct us as Christians and say, you need to understand what true Christian freedom is. And understanding what true Christian freedom is, you have to understand what real love looks like. And he's going to expand on that in the fruit of the Spirit as we come up to it later on in chapter 5. So we need to heed that warning as individual Christians. We need to be really careful about how loosely we use this idea of Christian freedom. Christian freedom is fantastic but it can easily be abused. And as a church, we have to heed this warning as well. Paul's writing to multiple churches in the region of Galatia, and we have to hear his warning about biting and devouring, because if we start to make allowances for our flesh in the church even, if we start to use our Christian freedom as a beachhead or as a base of operations where we think we can just behave however we want, even in the church, then it's a place where our flesh will attack us from. If we use our freedom to serve others, ourselves rather than others, then we can suffer the same fate. So let's not, as a church, use the freedom the gospel affords to serve ourselves, but rather to serve others. Let's use our Christian freedom as Jesus meant us to use our freedom for spirit-filled love. Not freedom to serve ourselves, but freedom to serve others.